I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. From time to time, I've thought about working for Médecins Sans Frontières, MSF. Currently, the medical humanitarian organization operates in more than 77 countries and is also on the ground in Gaza. It takes a special kind of MD to leave Canada's well-heeled healthcare system to work in developing countries where tools of the trade, like MRIs, simply do not exist. On our show this week, a feature interview with a Canadian MD who did just that. Hi, my name is Maureen Mayhew. I am a medical doctor here in Canada. I have recently written a book called Hand on My Heart, A Canadian Doctor's Awakening in Afghanistan. I worked for MSF for a number of years and then subsequently worked for other organizations and the total time that I spent in the country was about three and a half years over 10-year period of time. Dr. Maureen Mayhew's book was published earlier this year by Caitlin Press. Before working abroad, Maureen practiced medicine in Vancouver's downtown east side and many rural and remote parts of Canada, including the Canadian Arctic. Let's just say her book was a long time coming. So how long have you and I been talking about this book? Do you remember that, that story? I don't remember the year. I do remember it was uh, when your book Kindness was out and you were on a book tour in uh, in Vancouver. I'm thinking maybe it was 2017. Yeah. And uh, I pitched the book to you and then you gave me your contacts inside the book that I bought from you. And that's how it began. These days, there's intense focus on Gaza. But Afghanistan is another place that has long needed the help of international doctors like Maureen. Canada has put a great deal of effort into supporting Afghanistan over the years. Maureen was first posted there by MSF in 2000, the year before 9-11. At the time, much of Afghanistan was controlled by the Taliban. Dr. Maureen Mayhew, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to be speaking with you, uh finally able to talk with you about this book. And I wanted to begin with something that was really perplexing right off the top. I understand that you explicitly told MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières, that you did not want to go to Afghanistan. So how did you end up there? I didn't want to go to Afghanistan because I had these ideas of what it would be like there and how limiting it would be for me. And one of the things that's really important for me in terms of maintaining my own mental health when I'm in stressful situations, is to go outside and be active. And I didn't think I could do that. I thought I would be shut in a compound and covered up and uh, unable to visit villagers. And I I was a big traveler and still am a big traveler. And I I really wanted to uh, get to know the people. For all those reasons, I, I I just thought, this is the wrong place for me. They need somebody more sedentary. So I talked to somebody, a Dutch woman who was working for MSF, and she said, you know, 
the the current people, the expats who are in this teeny tiny town that was far away from Herat, it was two day drive from Herat. They went out for walks. They went swimming. They did all these things that were really important for me. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe I can do this. In the end, I went back seven more times over that 10-year period. You know, in spite of the potential obstacles and maybe your initial objections, you did your best to prepare uh, to go there. But reading your book, I got a strong sense of the culture shock. Can you tell us about what it was like to land there and to realize I'm here and I'm I guess not in, I was good. I was going to say not in Kansas anymore, but, but not in Vancouver anymore. I flew in with um, a number of uh, men who were dressed in Central Asian clothing and one other expat woman. We landed in uh, on this runway that was kind of torn up just before we landed. The pilot said, we go down fast and we go up fast because... You just don't know who's going to shoot at you. Yikes. So when I descended the plane, I descended from the plane toward this group of about 50 men who are dressed in long flowing garments. They had long beards, very stern faces, big poofy turbans. And they looked over to us in unison. And I just thought, uh-oh, this is like going to another world. This pathway opened up between the men, but none of them looked at me. None of them acknowledged my existence, even though the men who had descended before me, they were, you know, shaking their hands and and looking directly into their eyes. For me, it was like I was a ghost. I wasn't noticed. I, I wasn't important. So it was very much a situation of me realizing that this had no playbook for me. Like there were no, there were a few rules that I, I that MSF had given me, but the rest was going to be me making those up. I just wanted to, to set the scene for people who are listening to our conversation. The year is 2000 and the Taliban are in charge, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so were you welcome? I say from that in- initial experience, I, I kind of felt a little unwelcomed. But in truth, I was very much welcomed. The immigration guys, well, they're not that welcoming anywhere. But the people that I met when I went into Herat, which is where I first landed, and then ultimately into Balamorgab, which is where I ended up spending nine months, I was very much welcomed by people. Everyone who saw me, most people who saw me would invite me into their home. They would want to stop me for a conversation. They would want to understand who I was. They would want me to take pictures of them. And also they wanted pictures of me with them. Hmm. And then there's the idea of, well, what about the women? Like, where are they? And they're, they're not running around in the street, right? Because that's not what the culture allows. Although you can periodically... At the time, I could periodically see a woman walking down the street in a burqa or in a chaudhry, a sort of cloak kind of covering that they use instead of a a burqa in many families. And she would be accompanied by a male. could be a 10-year-old male. It could be a 50-year-old male. didn't matter, but it had to be a male from her own family. But typically at the beginning, I saw them, which, and it's kind of odd to say, 
but I saw them as ghost-like and I didn't know what to do because I couldn't see their faces. And that was my initial uh, reaction. And then I, I sort of chastised myself and I said, Maureen, you know, they that's what they have to wear. So, so it doesn't matter if you can see their face, say hi to them. And I had learned to say hi. So I, I would say hi to them and they would respond. You know, in Canada, to bridge the language barrier in, a, in the big city, I use services like the language line. And when necessary, I use Google Translate. You learned Dari. Was that always the plan that you were going to learn it? No, that wasn't at all the plan. I had actually brought a Spanish book to perfect my Spanish uh, because I thought Dari was, you know, I mean, where would I use Dari, right? And so I had no intention of learning the language. And what was really so incredibly obvious for me when I first, well, soon after I, I landed in, in the first place, Balamorgab, was it there were only two other foreigners in the two-day drive from Herat. So I, and I lived with those two foreigners. Other than that, it was all Afghans. So everyone I would meet would be Afghan. So I thought, you know what? I should probably know how to say a few things. And, and one of the reasons why it was really important for me to learn the language was because there weren't any literate women in Balamorgab, except for the the doctor who uh, we had employed and had brought in from Kabul and a midwife who we brought in from another city. And, and I really wanted to go inside houses and see what life was like and meet people inside houses. And and I couldn't do that with a male translator because, or a male interpreter because uh, it wasn't acceptable for me to bring a man in somebody else's house. I could only be, a, as a woman, go inside the houses. And, and so it was one of these odd things where I wound up learning Dari from someone I didn't expect I would learn from who was my night guard. And he didn't know any English and I didn't know any Dari. Dari was his second language. His first was Pashto. And we had a Persian dictionary, which is a different dialect. So you imagine the cobbling together that ended up happening as I was writing my own dictionary to create something that I could refer back to so I could remember the lessons that we had gone through. It was quite amazing. And, you know, we started out by pointing to objects and and then every day I tried to learn 10, 10 new words. Within a month, I was, I was conversing with people in, you know, limited ways, but it, it worked. And Dari's an interesting language because it's got a whole bunch of compound verbs. So you can, it, it's relatively easy if you speak in simple ways. I think learning the language built trust between myself and the patient. And I think the other thing is learning the language allowed me to go into houses to learn about cultural issues, like how the mother-in-law related to wife number one, related to wife number two. And then I could, I could use that knowledge with somebody else. We'll be right back. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? 
Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. And you got to explore those cultural issues through that night guard that that you've already referred to, Kareem. Tell us about that relationship. And, and I know you had a particular conversation with Kareem about birth spacing, about birth control options regarding, regarding his wife. Kareem had at the time two living wives and his first wife had died in childbirth. On the surface, we really had very little in common, but what we wound up having in common was curiosity and a desire to learn. And I really wanted to understand his perspective on things because because he was a religious Pashtun man, he would be much more conservative in his approach, I thought, but he was incredibly diplomatic. One of his wives had tuberculosis. I, I learned how to develop a story about what the TB germ is and what it does. And he wound up repeating that story to other people. And one day he came to me and he said, Honamuri, my one wife, she is too weak and I need her to be strong. And so I went through some mental gymnastics trying to figure out what this strong was. And ultimately, we wound up discussing the various methods of contraception in a way that was acceptable to him, which was by explaining that contraception was actually spacing out births so his wife would be as healthy as possible so she could have another healthy baby. And then he was worried about the possibility of sterility because we were talking about an injection of hormones to use as as birth spacing. In the end, we were able to work through that. And I ended up going to his house after he had discussed it with his wives. And the Dari-speaking wife translated for the Pashtun-speaking wife. And I was able to... (laughs) I was able to deliver the method of contraception. You're listening to White Coat Blackheart. This week, a feature interview with Canadian physician Dr. Maureen Mayhew. Her new book, Hand on My Heart, A Canadian Doctor's Awakening in Afghanistan, chronicles the years she spent providing medical care in rural and remote parts of Afghanistan, as well as the capital, Kabul. She says she overcame a personal sense of culture shock by being curious and by learning Dari, a Persian dialect spoken by nearly half of all Afghans. Arguably, the greatest culture shock she had to get past had to do with the kind of medicine she was asked to provide. One story stands out. A warning that you or your kids might find some of the details upsetting. You told a very vivid story about a little boy in a wheelbarrow early in the book. Can you can you tell us that story? There was a a shepherd boy who had fallen down a cliff. He was chasing his sheep and his father had found him and brought him to us in a wheelbarrow. And the boy had an open fracture. So a a fracture that, um, a, a skull fracture that went into his brain and the brain was oozing out of his head. 
and he wasn't responsive. And his parents wanted us to save him. But in Afghanistan, because death is so common, there's a tendency to accept death more readily than we do here in Canada. And what we were able to do was to provide dressings and wash the wound and provide painkillers, which were relatively minor and wouldn't really have dealt with the pain adequately. Um, and then to counsel the, the the parents as to how they might be with him as he passed on. And the, the even sadder thing was, was that they came back five days later for more bandages because he hadn't passed on yet. You know what strikes me about that story, Maureen? Um, you know, in Canada, we're always focusing or often focusing on saving life, doing what, you know, doing the heroic stuff and not on the palliative side of things. And you were totally focused in that moment with that boy. You were totally focused on the palliative side of things. And, and it was a very conscious decision. Obviously, I couldn't save this boy, but I wasn't going to make any attempt at doing so. I was going to automatically switch to palliation and make it the best possible for the, for the people who would live on. And that was my focus. It's not a bad lesson for Canadian physicians like me. Or have I got that wrong? Is it just, were you, is, are you saying that there's a part of you that was frustrated that you, you, you wished you could have done more because you seem so accepting of it, but, but I, I don't know what was in your heart at the time. That kind of head trauma is really difficult to, at least this is how I viewed it. But at the time, how I viewed it was that, that his quality of life, no matter where he was, would have been pretty poor. And so I didn't feel terribly bad about about my inability to provide additional care. Now, you could tell me that that's a wrong assumption, but that's that's how I that's the story I told myself in that moment. And you can also imagine that that might be a story that helps me and allows me to stay longer in a situation or in a place where that was going to happen again, right? I, I needed to frame things in such a way that it would be acceptable for me and that, that I could keep on giving, you know, to in terms of giving service to the people that I was serving. And uh, yeah, so that story did help me. You left uh, Afghanistan for the last time in, in 2009, and 12 years later, the government collapsed. We know the Taliban retook control. I was not going to extend this forever war, and I was not extending a forever exit. By day's end, Taliban fighters were sitting at the desk in the presidential palace. Afghanistan's army gave up without a fight. Desperate to flee Taliban rule, Afghans are resorting to this grasping at U.S. military aircraft and risking their lives. You have a better perspective, a more accurate perspective, because you wanted to go there to see for yourself. You haven't been back. But what's going on in the country right now, particularly as it affects women and young women in particular? As I've watched the rules of this Taliban government change over the last two years, they have really changed all the rules back to the exact same rules 
that we had in 2000, with the exception that at this point in time, girls under the age of 12 can go to school. In 2000, girls, no girls were able to go to school. It was just the um, the boys who could at that point. But but in terms of where women can work, how they can work, and how they need to dress and and escort a maharam escort male escorts, um, all of that is uh, very similar to what it was in 2000. And because of the rules that the Taliban have put in place, there's more exodus of the educated girls. And uh, I I did recently contact a friend who's a medical doctor. She has four daughters, two of which have have exited the country and are living in different countries, one going to university, one getting married. One daughter's less than 12, so she's able to go to school. But the other one, who's the teenager who can't go to school, she's having a real hard time because, you know, imagine your older sisters could have an education that you wanted and your younger sister can have an education that you already had, but you can't. Now, she is going to, you know, she's probably going to some kind of underground education, but but still, it's really hard. And then the other thing that comes to mind is we, you know, we've, we've put into place all sorts of supports for women and children's health over the last 20 years. And the pipeline of potential women's health work, care workers and the potential women teachers is going to be depleted. And that's going to be a negative for women and children. Maureen, uh, the title of your book is an intriguing one, Hand on My Heart, A Canadian Doctor's Awakening in Afghanistan. Where does that title come from? That title comes from two things, I think. One is Hand on My Heart is how we greet people in Afghanistan. So when I when I see you, I put my hand on my heart and I say, assalamu alaikum. And when you respond, you put your hand on your heart and you say, alaikum assalam. At another level, it's me going into Afghanistan, not knowing what's going to happen and me putting my hand on my heart and trusting myself that I can do whatever's necessary and I'm just going to follow the breadcrumbs and figure out where they go, and somehow things will work out. That's Dr. Maureen Mayhew talking about her book. Since we recorded that interview, the conflict between Israel and Hamas moved into Gaza, where volunteers with MSF had been working at the Al-Shifa hospital. We reconnected with Maureen on November 16th, two days before MSF staff stopped volunteering at the hospital. Maureen, uh, a lot has happened since we had our first conversation, um, there is, of course, a conflict that is in the news almost moment to moment going on in Gaza right now. I've brought you back because you've worked in war zones. Help us picture what's it like trying to go to work, as it were, and dealing with fear of imminent risk of harm to oneself, not just to patients, but to oneself. It's tough. And on the other hand, there's this drive to do the best you can do because you're there because that's the purpose that you have in the moment, right, is to do the best you can with what you've got. As physicians, we're, we're actually really good at stuffing our feelings and intellectualizing and, and going forth and just dealing with what is. 
And then only after the fact, we often feel the feelings. But during the time that we're there, we oftentimes are expert at stuffing the feelings and not letting them overtake us so that we can still work. Have you ever in in the course of, of your work abroad for MSF and other organizations uh, um, had to deal with an onslaught of, of uh, pregnant women who uh, you had difficulty providing uh, obstetrical care uh, or, or infants born prematurely where you couldn't, you didn't have the tools of the trade to care for them properly. Absolutely. And, but in my situation, it was probably more related to lack of, of supplies and, and lack of, of medications and resources because of remoteness. But even, I guess, in the, if I think about it in the cities, uh, in Herat, say, absolutely, I worked in a pediatric ward that that shared ventilators for about 20 kids. And that's totally not okay. And it promotes infectious diseases and, and, and the spreading of that. And so I've tried to make the best of it. And it's really hard because in the moment, I don't feel like I'm doing any good. And my whole purpose is to do good. In that particular situation, I had to make it better. And that, that was my focus, make it better, no matter what that was. You must have a lot of empathy for, for your colleagues working in Gaza right now, particularly at the Al-Shifa Hospital. Absolutely, yeah. And even, you know, deliveries, when you don't have, you don't have a C-section and you need one, or you don't have the forceps or, or whatever it is, the tool that you need, or you don't have the expertise to do that particular maneuver that you know needs to be done, but the person who would do it doesn't exist. It's really heart-rendering when somebody... When somebody dies in that situation, and it's and they do, and then you have to deal with that. Imagine for a moment that you could be a mentor to to those colleagues who are working in Gaza right now. What would you say to them if you could? I would say, be kind to yourself and do the best you can, and know it's going to be imperfect. It's your kindness that is going to get you through, because it's so easy to beat ourselves up, to say, what if, what if, what if, what if I had this, what if I could have done that if only this or that, those kind of comments are never helpful. Dr. Maureen Mayhew, thank you so much for speaking with us. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Since we spoke to Maureen, MSF has had several losses, including two doctors killed in a strike on the Al-Adwa Hospital. On Friday, November 24th, a four-day ceasefire between Israel and Hamas came into effect. That's our show this week. Our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This week's episode was produced by Samir Chabra with help from Stephanie Dubois and Isabel Gallant. Our digital producer this week is Adam Killick. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.